Just this past week, I saw an article in the Kansas City Star, no less, um, about a phenomenon that's popping up all over Great Britain and sure to impact many other continents within the coming year. The article begins, it looked like a typical Sunday morning at any mega church. Several hundred people, including families with small children, packed in for more than an hour of rousing music and inspirational talk and some quiet reflection. The only thing missing was God. <laughs> a group of what have been called atheist megachurches are beginning to spark up all across Great Britain, united by their belief in unbelief. And one of the founders, Sanderson Jones, he tells us when this idea sparked for him, it was about six years ago when he was at a Christmas carol concert. And he writes, There's so much about it that I loved. But it's a shame because at the heart of it, it's something I don't believe in. If you think about church, there's very little that's bad. It's singing awesome songs, hearing interesting talks, thinking about improving yourself and helping other people, and doing that in a community with wonderful relationships. What part of that is not to like? And so they began this project after they met. It just kind of took off. And so they began this project of reproduction, multiplying atheist congregations. And to really help us get a glimpse of their Sunday morning assembly, let's just take a glimpse at their morning promo video. So let's take a look. Now, our goal is not to make fun of this group in any way, shape, or form. Actually, I wish we could be as engaging as they are and laugh at ourselves a little bit more like they do. But what we can't miss here is that they get part of the story right. Um, we've been designed for community. And even in a worldview where there is no design and there is no creator, they understand this universal human hunger for relationship, for community, for like-minded friendship, for a community that's centered on a mission. But this is where the commonality between a gathering of Christians and a gathering of atheists stops. You see, for Christians... We don't long for community just for community's sake. It's about so much more. And over the past weeks, we've talked a lot about the Christian life, right? About how different it is when we begin to trust Jesus. How we view ourselves changes. How we view others changes. And even how we live our very lives changes. But the question remains, how do we keep living this Christian life? How do we keep going? When life gets hard... How do we continue to trust in God when our prayers go unanswered, when we get bored with life or feel rejected? The question really at the base of this is how do we keep going for the long haul in the Christian life? And this is the question the writer of Hebrews is addressing right here. He gives us all the key aspects of a persevering faith. And really it boils down to one thing. One critical thing that if we ignore it, if we cut it out of our lives, if we do not engage in it, then the rest of the Christian life will fall apart. What's that one thing? Intentional Christian community. The Sunday Assembly folks, they get it on how important community is. You won't make it alone. And the people around you, sitting in the very chairs around you, they won't make it alone either. At the dawn of time, the only moment after God had created his good world, that he said something was not good was when? 
when man was by himself, when human beings were isolated, disconnected from another human being. And so he, he began to cultivate in the first man, the first human being, a desire and an awareness for another, and therefore provided the first human community. And some of us need to allow God to do that same thing in us this morning. You won't make it alone. Hear that. And the beauty of the gospel is, is we don't have to. So this morning, as we explore intentional Christian community, we're going to look at four important truths of intentional Christian community. One, life makes it necessary. Two, church makes it tangible. Three, we make it difficult. But fourth, Jesus makes it possible. But before we dive into that and to the complexities of intentional Christian community, let's pray together, okay? Our Father, we come to you this morning centered on Jesus Christ, the key linchpin of our community. It's the person and the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that as we dive into your word, that you would reveal to us the importance of regular and uh, regular gatherings as followers of Jesus. Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts. Do your work in our minds. Speak through me as I speak. Whatever is ridiculous, may we forget. Whatever is truth, may it stick like glue. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, would you please turn to Hebrews chapter 10, passage that Sherry read for us this morning. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we have some free copies just on the opposite side there of the divider. That is a gift to you from us. We value God's word as revealing God's design for all of life. Well, the church community in Hebrews, it's, it's written to this church that's on the precipice of failure. There's a lot of warnings going on. And yet, as we scour the pages of the book, we're hard-pressed to find any major crisis as to why. You see, many of the letters that we find in our Bibles are written with a very specific cultural crisis at stake. We saw in Galatians, there were false teachers who had arrived, right, and were stirring things up. In 2 Corinthians, there were sins that had taken on a very public nature in the congregation. But neither of these we find in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, the church is described as drifting. And then in chapter 5, verse 11, they become what the writer has called dull at hearing. Getting to the point where the author describes them as immature in chapter 5, verse 14. And I hate to say it, but this is the sort of apathetic, laissez-faire, I'll get to it later, oh well, attitude that's the biggest obstacle for the church in the United States today. Our biggest obstacle isn't persecution, not in a meaningful way when we look at the church across the globe. Our biggest obstacle, quite frankly, probably isn't even false teachers trying to take over the church. Not here at Christ's community and not in our campuses, Lord willing, as we stand here in humility saying these very things, yes. But I think the biggest obstacle for us is life, busyness. So when we ask the question, why do we pursue intentional Christian community? The answer is in our first point. Because life makes it necessary. Why was the church drifting? For, from what we can see in the text, it was probably for some of the same reasons we do. We grow impatient, waiting for Jesus to come back. Come, Lord Jesus. Are you coming, Lord Jesus? 
And it's so much easier to live according to the cultural values that we find around us rather than being a distinct community centered on Jesus. Alongside of that, there's just the busyness of life where, life where it almost feels impossible to schedule a short moment of intentional spiritual nourishment and growth amidst the busyness of our calendars. When Allie and I join my family on vacation, we usually go to my parents' lake house in Tennessee. It's awesome. And they have uh, this pontoon boat. And my sister always plays that country song, on the pontoon. And then she's like back there with her cowboy hat. Anyway, I digress. But when we, when, we're go, when we get in the pontoon, we usually go to this cove and we drop anchor and we all get out and we start swimming around and we're chasing the kids in the water. There's about 20 of us or something along those lines. And we'll be in that cove for a couple of hours. Well, every now and then the anchor doesn't stick. And you'll look up and all of a sudden you're standing in like three feet of water. Somehow the whole boat and everyone without even realizing it is on the beach, you know. And that's the thing. It can be very disorienting. You think you're standing still, but instead you're being pulled by the very waves of life. Little by little. Drifting by its very definition is the opposite of intentionality. And many of our lives are being pulled little by little by the current of life to a place we never intended to be or wanted to be. The author of Hebrews, he sees drifting as deadly as it is, so much so that he takes the first nine chapters of Hebrews to review who Jesus is, what he's done, and how we therefore define ourselves now in Christ. They seem to have lost any concept of who Christ is and how he's changed their life. And so in chapter 10, where we are this morning, he begins to apply what all this stuff about Jesus means for us. And I'm not going to dive into all of those first nine chapters because in January 1, we're going to begin a series through the book of Hebrews, connecting the Old Testament and the New Testament and what we find our Bibles to be, this connected story of God's redemption and how Christ is at the center So I'm not going to belabor the point here, but in our passage, we find that the author gives us three catalytic relationships for growing faith. Three catalytic relationships. First, our relationship with God by drawing near, right? We see this in our passage. Secondly, our relationship with one another by spurring one another on and our relationship to our city to to do good works and to love After everything the author has set up to this very point, these three relationships are what the whole Christian life is about. Growth in these with our relationship with God, each other, and the city. And it's critical that we grow in these to keep us from drifting. So the second relationship, and this is where we're going to zone in a little bit today, the second relationship, this one another piece, this isn't just a nice amenity to the faith. But this is critical for the other two to grow, our drawing near to God and also our relationship on mission in our city. It has to have this critical connection of deep and persevering relationships with one another. So look again at the passage with me. What holds all three of these together? What is the one thing that's the linchpin for these three relationships? What's the one thing the church must do if it has any shot of making it in the midst of drifting? It's meeting together regularly. Look at verses 24 and 25. Let us consider then how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. The big problem for the church here 
was that they didn't think it was a big deal to skip out on community. The word neglect here in Scripture carries covenantal overtones. The promises of God and His community, abandoning God and His community, and the covenantal promises there. This is a big deal. And this is why growth with God is stalled. Friendships are fading, and witness and service is beginning to dwindle. This whole church is beginning to crumble. These relationships, they cannot thrive or even survive in isolation from one another. So further on in chapter 10, the author says, if you continue in this fashion, you're not going to make it. So in verses 26 on, you see these series of warnings over and over again. You're going to, if you continue in sin, you will fail. You won't make it alone. You're not going to be able to draw near to God, hold on to faith, unless you're intentionally and regularly with others who will push and prod you and encourage you to keep going. Some of you may be thinking, come on, Gabe. I've heard a lot of people give this speech before. Come on, convince me community is really that important. Well, the beauty of it is I don't have to, honestly, because God's word right here says, do not neglect meeting together. If you submit to God's word, right here we see a high value of intentional Christian community. The Bible gives us a stern warning. You won't make it alone. And this is where we need to have a conversation as Christ community, right? We want, we want to be a people who make it. We want to be a church that's thriving rather than dying. Well, not only is intentional Christian community because of the very nature of life necessary, but the church makes it tangible. The church makes it tangible. Sunday mornings, they're really important. You'll never hear me devalue Sunday mornings. They're, they're the one time in the week where we reorient our lives through liturgy, through the words that we say and the songs that we sing as a larger community built upon Jesus Christ. But Sunday morning is really just a start. It's really just a start in relationships. And Sundays, they can only take you so far. Scripture, it calls us to draw near to God. And you need other people, honest people, real relationships and honest accountability for that to actually take place. You know, this language of stirring up or spurring on and encouraging us, it has the actual language of the device that cowboys wear on their boots. You know this device, right? The, that thing that's really always in westerns that you never really know why they have on. But it's the spurs that are on their boots. And what they would do is they'd kick the horse in an intensity to get that sucker moving. Well, that's the exact same imagery we find here. Spurring one another on. This is intense. It's kicking each other in the pants, in love. And and when we're heading in the wrong direction or we're standing still when we should be moving, you need people to annoy you to spiritual growth. That's kind of the idea here. And believe it or not, pastors, myself, I'm not annoying enough. You need need more annoying people in your life. (laughs) I know, some of you are like, yeah, I've got way too many. Well, you need other annoying people in your life, people who can spur you on, but also can come along and encourage you. We see both this language of spurring or stirring on and encouragement, and encouragement in those crises of life. It's these people who are also seeking to follow Jesus, but to know you who can speak into your life about how love and good works for our community and for the wider community line up with your gifts and your passions. 
This is how we do this together as community. And they can affirm your identity in Christ when you feel weak. They can be praying for you when you're struggling at work. But not only that, if we look at all these factors, we need you here. You need this church to grow, yes, but we need you to grow. It's not all about you. It's about others as well. You don't just lose something when you don't engage. We all lose something. So how do we take uh, the next step in meeting together like Hebrews is pointing us here? Well, we see this panning out in community groups. As a downtown campus, um, this year we chose to bring together all of our community groups and to enter into Razor's Leadership Pathway, a 16-week journey to equip us to engage our community more thoughtfully. But in 2014, we're going to relaunch community groups. And we desire that every person here be in a community group. Not because it's our idea, not because we like it, and because it's our job, right? It's like, oh, Gabe's just trying to find stuff for him to do when he's not preaching on Sunday. No, that's not the case. It's because we think, and the author of Hebrews seems to agree, that this is the main catalyst for spiritual growth in our lives. So what's so great about community groups, right? We're sitting here with some skepticism, possibly. Well, look again at these three relationships of the Christian life. Our relationship with God, with each other, and mission in the city. Only community groups really bring all three of these together in an environment for growth. Are you longing for a more vibrant relationship with God to know Him better? Well, then plan to get into a group so that others can spur you on. Are you looking for people in your life to support you, challenge you, know you, and love you anyway? Well, then plan to get into a group. If you want to know how to grow in your witness and understanding how to how to be thoughtful and engaging our culture and our surrounding community. Invite others to speak into your lives by planning to get into a group. Now, I know intentional Christian community, I've seen it in my own life, is necessary because of the way our rhythms of life are in our culture. And the church makes it tangible. But the hard truth is, each one of us in here know this really well, we make it difficult, don't we? We make it difficult. And we come with a series of objections that seem to make intentional Christian community almost impossible in our lives once we put these objections up. So let's walk through a couple of them together um, just as a community this morning. First, the first objection sometimes we can have is, I'm not Christian enough. Like these community groups, like they're going to sit in a circle saying kumbaya or something. It's not, it's not that cheesy. I know Christians can be weird, but we can all be a little weird, right? Um, the gospel, it opens the door, no matter where you are in your faith journey, to be able to engage intentional community, to engage with others personally in authentic communication and acceptance and forgiveness. It's precisely because Christ isn't done working in any of us yet that we all need to be an intentional Christian community. So don't let fear hold you back. Don't think that you're not Christian enough to be in a community group. There's no such thing. Our second objection sometimes we can run into is we can think, well, I'm doing just fine. I'm doing just fine on my own. And some of us in here are skeptical whether relationships are worth it at all. Um, you may say, Sundays, they're enough for me. I'm good. I, I don't want to get to know other people because it's boring. <laughs> and I don't think it helps me. Some of you may even say, well, I'm an introvert. And I get energized by being alone. That's how God empowers me. Well, not according to Hebrews. 
No one's excluded, whether you're extroverted or introverted. And men, we're usually the ones who say this, right? I mean, sometimes it's ladies, but many times it's, it's, it's us guys in here. And this is how I feel sometimes when Allie invites me to go to dinner with a couple she's been shooting photography for. You know, it's like, hey, let's go get to know them. And I think, I don't know. I'd rather watch the football game or read a book and be a nerd. But I want to say a few things. I want to say a few things. First, I don't think any of us actually believe that statement. I don't think any of us in actually, actually in here think that we're doing fine on our own. I think each of us know how hard it is to have legitimate friendships, and we're scared that it's not going to work out. And that's why we're making joining a group easy. It's going to be eight weeks, consecutive weeks, three times a year. So that's about 24 meetings out of a year. And at, at any point after those eight weeks, you can change a group if it's just really not working out, it's not driving. Or you can stay in that group if you find that that's the place that God has for you. Second, we're, com- we're creating a community group curriculum that will be used six to seven weeks out of those eight weeks. And so for guys, it's not all talking, you know. I know sometimes that's a scary piece. Um, but you're going to be doing something together. You're going to be studying together. You're going to be learning about the values that we find in Scripture, about how important Scripture is, about how important the church is, how important the city is, how important God is in Christ, and how important it is to be entered into the yoke of Jesus. Third, I want you to consider the alternative. Consider the alternative. Something happens in your life. You need help, but you have no one to turn to. That happens all the time. And I'm not just talking about it at our downtown campus working with our various campuses, it happens all the time. Something happens, people feel like they have no one to turn to because they haven't invested in relationships. You don't think you need this community until all of a sudden something happens, and then you do. And at the end of the day, even after we go through those three points, you may still say, Gabe, you know what? I'm still doing fine on my own. Hebrews doesn't really convince me. Your objection really hasn't convinced me. Well, I want to go back to that original argument Well, hear this. No one else is doing fine on their own. So it's not just about you, but no one else is doing fine on their own, and we need your help cultivating relationships and being there for one another. Hear the command to love your neighbor as yourself and to plan to get into a group. If not for yourself, if you really feel strongly that you're doing great, plan to get into a group for someone else, to be a shoulder to cry on, to be a helping hand, to be a prayer partner. Third objection, which is really common, and it's kind of a scary one too, is community should be organic. We hear people say this, right? You know, and some of you have been a part of a programmed community that felt awkward and boring. It was more life-taking than it was life-giving. You thought, oh, it's Thursday night. I got to drink a power drink or something, you know, just to get ready. It's going to be so exhausting. And you're scarred thinking that community has to be completely organic or it's going to end up fake and artificial. Well, how many of you have ever made a date with anyone? You know, before you were married, you made dates with your spouse. How many of you are intentional in calling friendships, calling friends who are out of state to keep the relationship going? How many of you intentionally send your mother a Mother's Day card on Mother's Day? How many of you send your dad a Father's Day card on Father's Day? If you don't, you have really bad relationships. You really need help. But here's the thing. Relationships that matter most to us require the most amount of intentionality, don't they? Right? We have to make plans for them. We have to kind of give them structure. Organic and intentionality 
they go hand in hand. Even organic things, they need a right habitat and tending to flourish. If you go back to the very beginning of Scripture, the Garden of Eden gets about as organic as it gets, right? And then what does, it, what does God do when he creates Adam? He calls him to work the garden. It's about as organic as it can get, but Adam is to intentionally work and to tend and to keep the garden. So don't let the argument for organic relationships keep you from flourishing community. Why don't we take that time to plan to get into a group that mixes intentionality and togetherness? Number four, this is a biggie. It's too messy. It's too messy. Some of us feel like community is just too messy. And some of us, we've been hurt in relationships before, and you're afraid you're going to get hurt again. And I can't tell you that you're not going to get hurt again. That would be a lie. Um, The people in your group are going to be just as messed up as you are. You're no better, and you're no worse. Sometimes we think we're the worst. We're going to be the Debbie Downers of the group. You're no worse than anyone else in the group either. We're all messy. But with great risk comes great reward. I love what theologian C.S. Lewis observes as he's wrestling through the fear of pain in relationships. He says in his book, The Four Loves, he says, there's no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that, ca- cas- in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. And then he goes on to say this last bit. We shall draw nearer to God. That sounds a lot like Hebrews, yeah? Draw nearer to God, not by trying to avoid the sufferings inherent in all loves, but by accepting them and offering them to him, throwing away all defensive armor. If our hearts need to be broken... I mean, and if he chooses this as the way in which they should break, so be it. So be it. Let's just say we get to the point where we're willing to risk, once again, relationships. Another way we begin to put up a defensive wall is then we get really picky about who we're going to be in a group with. We seek to control our level of risk by ensuring that it's people exactly like us. They're in the same stage of life, maybe even the same vocation. So they're going to empathize with my pain. And so we begin to try to control our environment by then controlling the people that we are in community with. We say, oh, they're not in my age group. Oh, they're a little socially awkward. I don't have anything really in common with that group. Well, nowhere in this text does it say, keep meeting because friendship is easy and convenient because you have absolutely everything in common. In fact, what we find in Hebrews is the exact opposite. It's very inconvenient for the Hebrews to be meeting, apparently, because they've given it up. The church is defined by its confession in Jesus Christ, not life stage, not race, not socioeconomic status or job. And that's the point. 
God uses, I've seen this time and again, God uses the relationships that are least like us to actually reveal some of the biggest blind spots in our lives. And I think that's actually some of the scariest part of it. We like people that are a lot like us because they empathize and affirm us rather than sometimes challenge because they see a different aspect of us. Your life is messy and relationships are going to be messy. But that doesn't mean they're not worth it. You won't make it alone. None of you in here. The last and maybe the most common objection, and we can even think that this is an okay excuse, when really it's just an objection, not a legitimate excuse. Last one is, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. This attitude, it's death. It's like saying, oh, I'm too busy to go to the oncologist when you just got diagnosed with cancer. I mean, who does that, right? I get it. We all live in a busy culture. Everybody has a lot that we want to do, but not everything we want to do has equal value for our human flourishing, for who God's designed us to be and called us to be in Christ. In my experience, we put our calendar together for ourselves or for our family. We first lock in work, then we lock in vacation, sports, leisure activities. And after all that's been mapped out, after our weeks are pretty much completely booked, we start thinking, now how do I fit church in there? How can we fit intentional Christian community in here? And this is usually the last question we ask ourselves, isn't it? And this is exactly what Hebrews is warning against. It's got to work the other way around. Fit the everything else around meeting together with Christians on your Sunday morning gathering and one other night in community group or as we've been doing in Razors. Sometimes we talk about making margin for something like community groups. Well, don't make margin. Make margin for everything else, you know? Make this a priority in your life. This is a non-negotiable for the Christian we find here in Hebrews. If you trust this book, it says that Christian community, it's essential for you. Regular, consistent, frequent community. Our groups are going to meet every week for eight-week periods. So some periods of discipline of engagement and then also some discipline of withdrawal. Is that a big ask? Yeah, probably. It's 24 meetings out of a year outside of your Sunday morning gathering. But it's essential stuff. I mean, so essential We're taking time to tell you about it three months in advance. So you can't tell me in three months I'm too busy because we're working now to to empower you to pray through your calendar, look through your calendar, ask other Christians to come alongside of you and say, hey, do I have my priorities straight in my walk with Christ and the mission he's called each and every one of us to here in our lifetime? You won't make it alone. It's not easy, but it's worth it. And if you stick with it, you'll learn to love it. Allie and I have actually been taking time to regularly meet with the other campus pastors and their wives on a regular basis. We get together, we vent, you know, we cry, we laugh, we celebrate, we eat, and we hang out with each other's families. Um, It's been a great opportunity for us to the point that we're now trying to navigate, how do we find more time together? It's been so good, so encouraging, so loving and so inspirational that it's like, okay, we've got to carve out more time because this is changing our lives. This is impacting us and empowering us in unique ways because this is the way God's designed us. You won't make it alone. Your pastor won't make it alone. None of us will make it alone. We need intentional Christian 
community in our lives. And in amidst a world with so many options, with others making a Sunday assembly because they see the value and they don't even have God in their lives, really the only reason it's possible and sustainable and persevering is because Jesus makes it possible. Thank God that he didn't believe us when we said we were fine on our own. I mean, thank Jesus that through his death on the cross, he took the intentional steps towards reconciliation rather than letting it pan out organically, right? Thank God that in Christ, God planned to take our mess upon himself at the cross. He truly is our great high priest, we see here, bringing together intentional community that reflects him. Life makes it necessary. Church makes it tangible. We make it difficult, but thank Jesus, he makes it possible. But what about next steps? Well, if you saw on your seat, and if you don't have one on your seat, there are some probably scattered on a couple of the other empty seats. There is a card there. So for next steps, um, we're going to take some time right now to fill out this card. You'll find on this card that there is a place for your first name, last name, email, and your campus preference that you're normally plugged in with. If you would just take a moment here in a second to fill this out. This is an opportunity for you to navigate and communicate that you're interested in a community group. If you fill this card out, two things will happen. One, it gives us an idea of how many groups to be forming at, at the beginning of next year, how many leaders to be recruiting. Also, you're signing up for an email that'll empower you easily within the next three months on how to plug into a community group, okay? If you're new, or if you're a visitor, or if you're an out-of-town guest, this isn't a wasted time for you, okay? I want you to also, if you're still not convinced, I want you to take this card. Don't fill it out yet. And put it in your Bible. Put it in your back pocket. Put it on your mirror at home, wherever you're going to see it on a regular basis. And use that as a symbol to be praying through how God is calling you to take your next step in intentional Christian community. It'd be a great time as well within this period to brainstorm your calendar or even set up a coffee date with you and your calendar. <laughs> I know that sounds funny. But it's important. We have to be intentional in this way. Don't let your calendar control you. Control your calendar. And communicate your values by what you're making time for throughout your everyday and your weekly rhythms. So as we're gathering together at this moment, I just want to remind you, you won't make it alone. So stop trying to make it alone. And use this time as Jenny comes and sings over us to be praying and thinking through those next intentional steps. After you're done filling out the card at the end of our gathering, there's a basket right there on the guest table, bistro table. If you would just do us a favor and drop that card in there, that would be a great avenue for us to receive that. I'm going to pray for us. Spend a couple minutes of reflection, prayer, filling out the card, writing on the card, and then I'm going to transition us to communion to close us. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you. Um, we see the community that Hebrews is written to is wrestling through meeting together on a regular basis. They're about to give up. It's not really that pivotal in their Christian life. And by the power of your spirit, the writer of Hebrews is warning against this great lackadaisical, apathetic attitude that's so common in the church across the United States. 
Lord, there are so many around the globe who are dying and being arrested because they're fighting to meet together with brothers and sisters to pray and to hear Scripture. And yet we are so lackadaisical. Lord, may your Spirit stir us up afresh. May you challenge us for our good to grow in our relationship with God and on mission in our city through the God-given gift of your church and intentional Christian community. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.